Welcome to the Natural Capital Podcast, produced as part of the Farm Advisory Service in association with the Scottish Government. My name's Rachel Smiley, and in this series we explore different natural capital assets, their value to Scottish agriculture and the rural economy, and the pressures and threats they face. We speak to people, groups, experts, helping to manage and protect and restore these resources, ecosystems and habitats. The Scottish Government has announced the Agri-Environment and Climate Schemes, often referred to as EECS, will open again for applications from this month, February 2024. EECS forms part of the Scottish Rural Development Programme and is the main mechanism used to support farmers that want to implement sustainable land management practices which tackle the twin crises of climate change and biodiversity decline. Whether it is actions to improve water quality, manage flood risk or mitigate and adapt to climate change, EECS 2024 has been designed to offer something for everyone regardless of business type. We are speaking to Dr Paul Chapman, Senior Conservation Consultant at SAC Consulting and Senior Agricultural Consultant Alex Perry to find out everything about EECS this year how the measures are designed to create, restore and enhance on-farm natural capital assets. Welcome to the Natural Capital Podcast. Paul, do you want to just introduce yourself? Yes, I'm Paul Chapman. I'm a conservation consultant with SEC Consulting based in Aberdeenshire, uh, covering mostly northern and eastern Scotland. And Alex? Hello, yes, I'm, I'm Alec Perry. I'm an agricultural consultant. I work out of the SAC office here in Ayrshire in the southwest. And I think a lot of people might recognise your voice, Alex. Do you want to just mention some other kind of podcasts that you're involved in? Yeah, thanks, Rachel. Um, so I'm the host of the Thrill of the Hill podcast, also produced on behalf of the Scottish Government for the, the Farm Advisory Service. Uh, we discuss topics relating to the farmed upland environment, namely conservation and climate change, but uh, but it's a broad church, so there's plenty to talk about. And we can provide a link to Alex's podcast in the show notes. So just to start off, Paul, can you just give us a background on what is EECS and how long it's been going on? The Agri-Environment Climate Scheme has been on the go since uh, 2015. Uh, It replaced a number of previous schemes that might be familiar to listeners with names like uh, Rural Priorities, Rural Stewardship Scheme, Countryside Premium Scheme, going all the way back to the late 1990s. It's a competitive scheme to access funds to manage farmland uh, for the benefit of biodiversity. There are some other aspects to to AICS that we will maybe come back to later, but I'm focusing primarily on the biodiversity aspects of it. If an applicant is successful getting into AICS, they have a five-year contract during which they'll receive a mixture of annual management payments to manage particular habitats for the benefit of, of different habitats and species. And also, there may be some capital payments uh, for habitat creation and other things like fencing and so on that are required to achieve the management that is in the plan. How long has it been going on? You've mentioned a couple of predecessors there. How long has it been named EECS? EECS, in its current form, appeared in 2015. So it's been running for uh, almost 10 years now, which is longer than any of its predecessor schemes. But it's very similar to a lot of the schemes that came before it. And have you been involved with EECS since it came out in 2015? Yeah, I've been doing um, 
EECS applications for clients since 2015 and for the predecessor schemes all the way back to uh, 1998, I think, was my first involvement with any agri-environment schemes with the, the countryside premium scheme as it was then. And how about you, Alex? When have you started to be involved in EECS? As Paul says, EECS, EECS began in 2015. I actually became a, an agricultural consultant in 2015 after graduating university. So less time than uh, than Paul has been working on these, but have been delivering these now year on year um, across Scotland. Did, uh, did a stint up in our Inverness office, really enjoyed it, cutting my teeth up there, and now trying to, to do the same for the Southwest. Paul, you'll probably be in a better position to answer this question. How has it developed from when it was first announced and compared to the schemes that came before it? Well, in some ways, it's the scheme we have today has a lot of similarities with, with how it was when it started and, and the predecessor schemes. A lot of the management options and the capital items that people can apply for have, have stayed very um, similar during that period. The main changes have really been sort of minor tweaks to, to some of the, the management requirements associated with these options. More significantly, there have been some changes to uh, things like payment rates for certain options and also the, the geographical targeting of options because not, not all of the options under the scheme are available in every part of Scotland. So uh, there's been some tweaks to, to targeting. And also, as I mentioned, it's a competitive scheme. So there is a scoring element um, involved in the application process whereby applicants are aiming to score as many points as possible to give their application the best chance of success. And the scoring system has changed quite significantly, really, over the years, responding to, to the way the scheme, it's, it's basically adapted and responded to the way the the scheme has run to try and ensure that the, the funding that's available, because ultimately it is relatively limited funding, is targeted on, on the key priorities. Question to both. When you mentioned like scoring system, what is an example of the different scoring systems? When we're talking about EECS, the, the framework for the scoring has changed over the years, but, but generally it focuses on the delivery of management options at scale um, or, or, or scale of delivery, the proportion of your farm that you're prepared to enter into a contract. For some businesses, they can focus on mitigation of diffuse pollution. And then you have national priorities. So there's a list of national priority species that are applicable to farmers across Scotland. These will change depending on your geographic location, the biodiversity priorities in your area. There are also other uh, aspects relating to things like habitat linkage, value for money, long-term benefit, and whether or not you're collaborating. So when it comes to scoring, scoring is quite an in-depth process, and it becomes increasingly important as EECS goes on year on year, we deliver the, the highest scoring applications possible. And you mentioned the geographical differences Paul, you're on the East Coast, Alex on the West. Is there anything in your areas that are just kind of only for your own area and not for anywhere else? Well, certainly in, in Eastern Scotland, that there's there's maybe a bit more emphasis on some of the, the arable options, although those are available in, in other parts of Scotland where, where there's cropping as well. I guess that the main difference might be in terms of the um, sort of biodiversity priority species that we're aiming to target. Part of the scoring is is trying to uh, benefit a, a sort of fixed list of, of priority species. That may be 
will vary quite a lot depending which part of Scotland you're in. So here in, in Aberdeenshire, for example, the, the cone bunting is a very high priority species. It's the, the, the fastest declining farmland bird in Scotland. Management of arable farmland, uh, different options, uh, wild bird seed mixes, late mown grassland. Uh, these are all the kind of options that can be used to, to benefit that species. Whereas maybe on the west coast, there'll be species like corncrake, chaff, that are quite high priority. In some areas of the highlands, great yellow bumblebee, freshwater pearl mussel, these are the kind of species that you're aiming to benefit. And then there are some species that are fairly widespread. So for example, the, the um, farmland wading birds are a high priority under the scheme. And um, although they have declined massively throughout the country, they, they, they are fairly widespread still. So, so those options tend to be picked up throughout the country. Here in the southwest, certainly waders are king. If you can put in for wader grazed grassland, maybe wetland management with a with a scrape, the ability to to score for the five ground nesting wading birds is, is quite important. Also, we have a lot of hen harrier down in the southwest, and if you're in the right location, um, scoring for great crested newt is also quite uh, quite worthwhile doing. Have you been seeing any trends with your clients over the last couple of years? One of the main trends we've seen in the scheme is that there has been a bit of a, a trend driven a lot by the scoring over a number of years, maybe away from the, the more sort of capital intensive options towards ongoing annual management of habitats. So certainly in the early years of the scheme in northeast Scotland and, and I'm sure in other parts of, of the country as well, things like hedge planting, hedge creation was a very popular option not just for its biodiversity benefit, but also because there was associated fencing, which was um, quite a useful management tool for a lot of farmers. In the early years, there was a a lot of emphasis on on those types of options, but I think a decision was maybe made that although planting hedges is certainly beneficial for biodiversity, that the, the proportion of the total budget that was going on that was starting to get a bit excessive and was maybe not uh, making best use of, of the funds. So so the scoring and um, other aspects of the scheme have, have tended to discourage large hedge creation applications. It's now very limited geographically where you can get funding for planting new hedges and there are now limits on the amount that you can apply for. Definitely seen a, a, a trend away from those kind of capital habitat creation projects towards ongoing annual management of habitats. Yeah, I, th- I think that's right. I mean, we we do see where habitats are still being created through the scheme. Obviously, there's, there's a requirement to put in place certain infrastructure, but for those businesses who might even be going into their second iteration of EECS now, there really isn't justification for the, the kind of continuation of, of the amount of capital that's that was requested in the early days of the scheme. What about if farmers were kind of relying on that funding source for habitat creation? Is there other methods that they can use, other pots of money from the Scottish government? Depending on what kind of activities they're proposing to do, there, there may very well be. I mean, in, in Scotland right now, the Woodland Trust are offering their, their more woods and their more hedges uh, fund, which is small scale habitat creation, but, but may very well be a viable option for some smaller businesses. Or if you're just looking to incrementally do things over a number of years, you know, that, that might be a viable option. Alternatively, if you're looking to do things at landscape scale and have immediate 
impact and potentially collaborate with a number of landowners. Something like the Nature Restoration Fund might be the route to go down. Um, but in terms of EECS, EECS is certainly uh, continues to be the, the predominant agricultural scheme to, to get into. And Alex, have you seen any other trends with your clients since you've been doing it since 2015? I would say that EXIS continues to to become more strategic in how we how we plan these. So we are certainly seeing a greater focus on applications coming through for designated sites. I mentioned ground nesting wading birds being a really important part for for southwest farmers. So integrating management options to do with the lake cutting a silage or or wader grazed grassland or wetlands are, is becoming more and more prevalent. Paul's right. I mean, we we do have some arable options available to our farmers here, but in terms of scoring and, and the value for money from that, I think farmers are maybe moving away from that a little bit. I mean, it's nice to see in an application, but we really are looking to get the most bang for our buck in terms of value for money for Scottish government and, and making sure that what we're applying for is is really working to, to generate that score. And you've mentioned collaborative kind of applications can that happen under eeks if farmers coming together to put in an eeks application absolutely yeah if, if we're going to achieve meaningful biodiversity enhancement in scotland i really do believe that it has to be done with a degree of collaboration whether or not that's done through eeks and the mechanism that's available there or whether it's something like a, a farm cluster or part of the nature restoration fund eeks does have a mechanism for collaboration you develop a, a collaboration plan in uh, in partnership with other businesses normally in the same geographical area as you normally targeting the same kind of feature or habitat or particular species for benefit it could be a hedge that that runs across three or four different farms it could be a water margin that likewise does the same um, it might be a wader grassland collaborative plan it might be three or four farmers who are working on the same open hill as one another it's a really good way of compounding the benefits and enhancing beyond what a single business could could achieve and i take it these kind of farmer cluster groups would have to be established first then submitting the eeks application so there's no funding to kind of develop the groups Ideally, yes. I mean, the the best collaborative groups will be groups that are pre-existing, have a track record of proven work together, a a good track record of working with groups like uh, Nature Scott or RSPB or or SEPA even. Ideally, we're looking for quite a robust collaborative group. You know, that's been one of the elements that's kind of developed within the guidance as the scheme has progressed. You know, we're really looking for more of a formalized group now. Um, the idea of bringing together a group of farmers who, you know, may be working on the same, uh, on targeting the same species, um, on undertaking the same management options. You know, if it's not a robust plan, it's not really ticking the box for collaboration anymore. Paul, can you just talk us through the, the process from start to finish in a condensed way about how a farmer would go through about submitting an EECS application? I think the first thing to say is that it isn't a simple process and that people have to be aware of that going in that that unfortunately that there is a degree of bureaucracy involved in in making an application to ensure that um, schemes are are targeted at, at the most important areas. So I guess it, it's something that you, you wouldn't just do on a whim. You need a bit of lead-in time to prepare for. The first stage 
is generally getting an environmental assessment of the farm. That's identifying the habitats and, and features that are already there, kind of getting an overview of what sort of condition they're, they're in, and, and that will help inform what options are, are open to the applicant. Having done that, you can look at those options and agree, if you're getting assistance from a consultant, for example, agree what, what might work best for your farming system, pull together the, the options that you want to apply for. Those are applied for through an online application system. In addition to that, there, there is quite a lot of supplementary um, documents that are required to be submitted along with the application. So as well as the, the initial environmental assessment, if you're undertaking um, grazing of, of wetlands or species-rich grassland or moorland habitats, then you have to draw up a grazing management plan. And there's a, a standard template for those that uh, needs to be used often. Oh, well, it almost always also requires photographs of the habitats in their current condition. If you are aiming to benefit some of the kind of priority species that we've spoken about, there are supplementary documents where you detail what you're doing to, to benefit those those species. So it can end up being quite a lot of preparatory work before the application is submitted. It, it's, not, it's not a simple tick box exercise by any means. And you mentioned the environmental assessment at the very start. Is that completed by consultants like both of yourselves? I, I would say, uh, realistically, most most are completed by consultants or advisors. But there's nothing to stop uh, a farmer with a with a, a good understanding of, of of the scheme to complete that environmental assessment themselves if they wish. Is there a kind of bespoke methodology for it, or can Farmers who have got like a kind of natural capital assessment done or a biodiversity audit already completed, can they use existing information? There is a standard sort of template for completing the environmental assessment for, for a, an AICS plan. But I think some of the, the other kind of plans you mentioned, natural capital assessments and biodiversity audits, although there's a number of different ways that those can be, be done, they, they generally do follow a very similar pattern, maybe look at broadly similar habitat habitats during that assessment. So I think if you already had an, an assessment or a biodiversity audit for, for some other purpose, it probably in most cases could be relatively easily adapted for, for an AICS environmental assessment. And I should say as well, under the Farm Advisory Service, um, there is funding for um, specialist advisory plans, which can focus on, on biodiversity and those can be used to do quite a lot of, of the initial sort of assessment of, of habitats and, and, and their condition on farms. Maybe particularly if people are uncertain whether they want to apply for the scheme or not, it's, it's one way of, of looking at what they've got and identifying the opportunities. That's good. And we'll provide a link to this in the show notes of this episode. Have you ever visited a farm that wanted to put an application into EECS and found that there was kind of nothing that they could put in for or any stories of anything going on in farms that you were kind of surprised when you visited? We do always get interest from farmers who initially are very optimistic about the prospect of a, a contract. And I, I do think that 
you know, there, there is something for everybody in the scheme. But it is quite important that we build a proposal together that, that is viable. Um, so quite often we can go out and, and see a farmer who, you know, maybe likes the idea of one management option, two management options. But uh, we're really looking to get a mosaic of different things on the go within a contract. And so on occasion, there can be instances where a contract just isn't viable for, for a farm. And, and that's always a shame. In uh, my experience, I, I would certainly agree with everything Alex saying there, but I find that some types of farms do find it more difficult to make X applications. There's, there's sometimes a perception that it, these schemes are there to, to provide a bit of extra income to the farm, which they certainly can do. Um, but certain types of farms, particularly ones that are quite intensively managed for production, where you know, every last blade of grass or um, every last bit of, of, of crop field is, is being used for production. It can be very difficult to um, to fit in the, the, the management options because they, they often require not grazing at certain times of the year or, or grazing within limited stocking densities. And so occasionally we'll visit farms and find that it would be very difficult for them without significantly adapting their farming system uh, to, to accommodate a scheme. Um, on the other hand, some more extensively managed farms find it quite easy to, to, to slot in these management options. And then they tend to be the ones that, that see the, the, the biggest benefits because they're, they're not having to significantly change, you know, a destock or anything like that. Um, but they are able to, by, by managing the land in a slightly different way, they're able to access these additional payments. This year's fund in 2024, is there anything new that's come up and that's going to get funded? Well, we have seen the return of pond creation for wildlife, which has been really nice to, to see. And in previous years, there has been a cap of 500 metres on hedge creation. Um, obviously, we, we talked a little earlier on about the capital infrastructure that goes along with that, um, but they've increased that cap to a thousand meters, which uh, for people who want to do some habitat creation, some hedge planting, that that's great. Um, we've also seen in in some of the upland habitats some options uh, returning, but there are some complications. For example. There have been uh, historically through the scheme payments for things like heather cutting and, and muir burn and for bracken control. Those were dropped previously. But what we've seen or what we're seeing this year is that uh, although muir burn remains um, out of the picture for the scheme, cutting of heather has returned as, as, a, as a potential option. And bracken control has returned, although due to the, the issues with Azulam no longer being authorized for, for use for, for bracken control, under aches, only mechanical bracken control bruising or cutting is, um, is permitted under the scheme. Also, I would be, I would be remiss if I, I didn't say, very recently we had the, the return of the slurry storage funding available under aches. This is one of those instances where we've actually seen an increase in the funding available. So it used to be that farms could apply for up to 2,000 cubic metres of capacity at a rate of £15 per cubic metre. We've actually seen that increased to 20 for the, the bulk of Scotland. And if you're on an island, there's a 10% uplift on that as well. So that's, that's really encouraging. 
I should add, though, from a from an East Coast perspective, that the slurry storage funding under AICS um, is only available in areas that are not designated as nitrate vulnerable zones. In Aberdeenshire and a lot of, of Eastern Scotland, that funding isn't available. Because that's a prime example of things being kind of geographically based and on different environmental factors and things. It's interesting. Is there a list of everything that's available in 2024? What is and what isn't? The main AICS page on the Rural Payments website gives a gives a kind of summary of, of an update for 2024, highlighting the key changes from previous rounds. And then you can access the full guidance, including a full list of, of management options. But you know we've spoken about geographical targeting. So if, if people are looking at the list of options, you have to consider whether they are available for your for your farm. There is a a link on on the main rural payments X page for a checker where you can type in your farm code number and it'll uh, give you a list of the options that are targeted for your area. And within each individual page for for each option, that there is a map uh, and that, well, it's a national level map. So sometimes it can be a little bit difficult to to see it at a fine level whether you're you're targeted or not but the the checker should um if you put your farm code in great we'll put that link in the show notes as well we've touched on what has been included this year is there anything that has been taken out this year that perhaps was included in previous years well some options it's not so much maybe a change for this year but some options like creation of species rich grassland which uh, was previously quite a popular option, um, remains unavailable uh, for funding in this year's round. And also, Alex mentioned the, the slurry storage grants. There was previously under AICS also funding for um, public access for footpath creation, but that's been suspended for a couple of years now. And for this species-rich grassland, if farmers were relying on having the grants for that in the put it in in previous years, is there funding from elsewhere to continue the management of it? There is still funding under AICS for um, continuing management of existing species-rich grassland. It's just the the, the funding for creating new areas, so sowing wildflower and native grass mixes. In those types of circumstances where kind of habitat creation doesn't work out, is there any impact on the funding? Yeah, I mean, if like all schemes, there there is an inspection regime associated with with each. So the department or or Nature Scott can come out and and look at the scheme to see how it's going. And I guess if an option has not worked the way it was intended, you know whether it's a, a species rich grassland creation or whether it's planting a hedge that's failed or something like that, then yes, it, I mean in theory that payments could be could be clawed back, but. Generally, maybe there would be an opportunity to try to to put things right first. Yeah, I think I think that's right. I mean, one of the things that every applicant and, and successful participant will have to do is to maintain that management diary that comes along with your contract. And in an instance where maybe something hasn't worked out, and you know, if if we're going to be ambitious and we're going to you know tackle nature decline we are going to do some things that aren't going to work and and that has to be okay for some people but having a record of what hasn't worked why it hasn't worked and being able to justify that to um scottish government to to nature scott's really important so keeping a management diary is definitely uh, definitely something that's that's worth doing properly and is that a requirement of a management diary what goes into this diary 
Yeah, so each management option that uh, is applied for under the scheme comes with its own corresponding section of a, a management diary. And quite often, that will include things like maintaining the grazing densities that you've agreed to. It could require you to keep a record of whether or not you've undertaken spot treatment of injurious weeds. Um, it could be confirmation of new habitat created. So if you're doing small-scale tree planting or the dates that your your hedge planting has been completed, there, there's really there's a lot that can go into it, but it is very options dependent. So Alex, you've mentioned the slurry storage. What other type of non-biodiversity aspects are involved in EECS? Paul's mentioned the, the public access element of, of EECS previously, but maybe one of the other things that we haven't touched on yet was uh, there is continuing support for organic conversion and, uh, and maintenance contracts. So if you're a business in Scotland that is currently organic, you can receive top-up payments to help support you to maintain your current practices. Or if you're a business, a conventionally operating business in Scotland um, that's maybe thinking about going organic, you can receive a, a five-year contract to, to help you achieve that. Um, and that's normally done in conjunction with SOPA or the, the Soil Association is another good one. Your conversion period typically is included with uh, higher rates of payment um, and then there's uh, reduced rates of payment for, uh, for maintenance and, and management. And for converting to organic, is it an all or nothing approach or do you get paid for just certain fields getting turned to organic? The scoring criteria is slightly different for organics. So the higher proportion of land that you propose to put into organics, the more points that you're likely to, to accrue. However, you can take a phased approach. So you can um, slowly convert over a number of years or you can just pick a fixed point and jump immediately into that that conversion process and there are payment rates that vary depending on the quality of land that you're proposing to um, convert so your arable areas areas that are used in vegetable production for example they'll receive the highest rate of support followed by your permanent grasslands for example and then there's um, reduced payments again for upland rough grazings. And do you deal with many farmers that are wanting to convert to organic? We do get a handful of them each year. Yeah, we're we're never we're never inundated with them. You know, the the most interest through the scheme does generally come from farmers who are looking to to get into an environmental contract, a biodiversity focused contract. But yeah, there, there's there's always a handful of of people interested in organics. So now that the application window is open, what does a farmer need to do to make an EECS application? What are the kind of fixed periods when is the deadline? Well, for the biodiversity-focused agri-environment schemes, the, the deadline is the 10th of June, which uh, may seem quite quite a way off from where we are now, but soon comes around. And as we've already spoken about, it's quite an involved process making an application. So it's not the sort of thing that you can turn up on the 9th of June and say you want to do an application. It, it, there is quite a lead in time. And to be honest, I think people should be looking at it right now if they're, if they're wanting to, to hit that window. For the other elements of aches there are slightly different deadlines so for the slurry storage it's the 19th of april is the deadline and for the organic conversion and maintenance it's the 31st of july and how many eeks applications do both of you do in the period 
I don't, I don't know about you, Paul, but, but for me, that does vary year to year. I mean, certainly back in 2017, I think I did 25 applications. That was maybe the most that I've ever done in a year. This year, we're, we're currently looking at doing about eight or nine. Our uptake of the scheme in doing applications is very much driven by the appetite of the, of the farming community to, to get involved in these. Yeah, and from from uh, my viewpoint, yeah, th- there is a limit to the number of uh, applications one person can do just because of the amount of, of supporting documentation that has to be prepared. I think last year I, I did maybe a dozen or so applications, but it it really can vary depending on on the type of the type of business involved. For example, I've over the years I've done quite a few applications for quite big estates, which um, obviously take quite a bit more time to prepare applications for compared to say a small a small farm which can can be done more quickly so it does vary from year to year apart from being prepared early what advice would you give to farmers doing eeks for the first time i were a business that had never been involved in an environmental scheme before for me what would be really important is that i really familiarize myself with the requirements of the management uh, options that are available. Um, so I know Paul provided um, some signposting to the to the tool, the search function on rural payments. I would certainly give that a go. I would familiarize myself with the management options that are available and make sure that I'm totally comfortable. I mean, th- this is a five-year commitment. So you are developing a, a strategy for your business that will run on for a number of years. Um, it's important that, that you're, you're fully bought in on, on what the process is. Yeah, I would, I would absolutely agree with, with all of that. And yeah, I mean, I would just add that people shouldn't just see it as a, as just purely as a, as a source of extra income. It, it certainly can be for the, the right type of farm. It, if, if you can make the, the, the tweaks required, it, it can can generate that, that income. But in a, a lot of cases, you can find that sometimes the payments under the scheme are simply offsetting maybe income that you're then losing by having to change the the management so you have to do it for for the right reasons but it can deliver an awful lot of other other benefits to to the farmer beyond delivering for for biodiversity so we've seen a lot of applications in this part of Scotland in in previous years uh, focusing on uh, protecting watercourses from diffuse pollution through water margin fencing and alternative waterings and that helps people, uh, as well as delivering benefits to, to the, the, the um, watercourse biodiversity, it also helps the farmer meet their cross-compliance commitments uh, associated with their basic payment scheme. And there are benefits beyond just the, the benefits to biodiversity as well. Yeah, just to build on that, I mean, we're going into a period of, uh, of new policy development now, and all indications are that biodiversity decline and, and climate change are, are going to continue to be at the, at the top of, of the priority for a lot of people. And having a, a farm environment assessment done may well put you in, in good stead for, for the future. You know, having that baseline audit done can be really helpful um, for what it looks like is, is coming down the line. Thanks, Alex. That's a good point to end on. And thanks both for coming on the Natural Capital podcast. If you want to find out more on everything we've discussed, you can find links in our show notes and more information is on the Farm Advisory Service website. You can listen to all of the podcasts we produce for Faz Sounds on all podcast providers or wherever you're listening to this one. 
If you want to hear more from Alex, you can find all of his episodes of Thrill of the Hill and access a wide variety of other resources on the Fast Sounds pages and Farm Advisory Service website. We hope you'll join the next episode of Natural Capital. Thanks for listening. The Farm Advisory Service Podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government.